Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. My name was Jeremy Shelley. I'm the, the family life pastor here, and I, I only share that because I want to acknowledge that just because I have the word pastor after my name, I'm no different than anybody else. In fact, last week, I was uh, sitting right over here in the student section. Hey, students. Oh, I'm sorry. They're, apparently, they're over here today because <laughs> I was sitting over here in the student section. And I was listening to Ross preach and, and a really excellent sermon. If you haven't uh, heard, if you weren't here last week and didn't hear his sermon, I encourage you to go back uh, onto our website under sermons and listen to it. It's a really powerful word. And, and as, as I was sitting there in this chair, I was, I was inspired. I was encouraged about all the different ways that I might be able to live out my faith and walk closer to the Lord. Faith with my family, with my coworkers, with my neighbors and, and other people that I don't know. And, and I was, I was, it was just this really, uh, felt like a holy moment sitting in that chair. And then the time between when I left that chair and walked out to the car with my kids and got onto the road, all of it was gone. I, I like my my head was already swimming with all the thoughts that I had to do for the week, and and my my kids were. I, I have a small car, and all three of them sit in the back seat, which means they're kind of on top of each other, and they're you know elbowing each other and and. No cuss words yet. They're not doing that. But it was close to it. And I'm thinking, i got to scream at you. And, and everything that I was encouraged by felt like it was gone. It was gone. I was frustrated. I was anxious. My emotions were leaking all over onto my kids. But then another thought came over me. And it was, it was one of those come Holy Spirit moments. Then this is really what resilience is about. We've been in this, we're starting this new sermon series about what it means to be resilient under pressure. And, and I thought this is not about a single redemptive moment. It's not about this quick fix, but it's, a, it's this bounce back that's not a one-time thing, but rather the resilience of learning to get back up over and over again. And it's not by our power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. A quick example of what I'm talking about. Another time I was in the car with my kids. I had a minor blow-up in my car, which maybe they should never ride with me. Uh, I don't know. Alexis agrees. She's like, yeah, I try to keep them in my car as much as possible. She also has a minivan, so they can, like, spread out and run around, and they don't get onto each other's. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But... So I was, I was tired. This was on Monday afternoon. So just you know, like 24 hours after this really holy moment in church, and here I am still head swimming in thoughts, one of my kids asked me a very simple question. I didn't have the answer to it, and, and my response to, to one of my kids, I'm not going to tell you who it was, Lofton was, it was short, and it was, it was rude. I, I just, I, I'm an external processor. And there's many times that I've, I've found myself in similar situations where I, I blurt out something that is my first thought that I haven't had time to really wordsmith or filter out any of the brashness, brashness of that statement. And that's what I did with my, with my son. And 
after there were multiple times of doing this, I've learned a couple techniques that, you know, help me to communicate a little bit more effectively. One of those is what I call a rear view conversation. Anybody ever heard of this? Anybody, you know, it's kind of like the rear view mirror conversation. It goes like this. After looking back on what I just said and how I said it, it's best not to talk condescendingly when you do this, but after, after I look back on, on what I just said and how I said, I realize that I didn't communicate what I intended to communicate. So I'm sorry for that. What I wished that I had said is on and on and on. Now, on Monday, when I have this blurt out with my rude confrontation with my son, I, it took me about a 20-minute car ride to muster up the integrity of character, the strength, the fortitude, the humility to actually have that rearview conversation with my son. It's pathetic. I'm a pathetic human. Just kidding. You're supposed to say, no, Jeremy, no, you're not. <laughs> anyway, here's the point. Those 20 minutes, they demonstrated to me how hard it is to constantly and consistently be engaged with the redemptive work of God when we choose to do it in our own strength, right? In our own strength. The, the life that we're living, it, it's a process. It's up and down. One minute we're listening to a sermon, planning out how we're going to follow as close to Christ as we can. We have dreams. We have pictures. We, we see the fruit of the kingdom lived out in our lives, but then separated by only a few moments and a few steps, we're challenged but with the reality of a broken and sinful existence. We're met with disappointment. We're met with frustration and the ideas of being the best follower of Jesus that we possibly can are gone. So what expectation should we have uh, for our lives as a follower of Jesus? I mean, uh, under our own power, we will fail. Resilience, though, is, is about returning again and again to the cross of Christ and finding our redemption, our identity, our, our, our strength and our joy, our hope in Christ alone. Amen? Amen? Let's all sing that hymn together. In Christ. No. Okay. <laughs> all week as I was writing this, I kept singing it again. I was like, that's it. I'll just finish right there. We're done. No. The truth is, the, the weight of sin, the, the brokenness of this world will push us away from Christ. And so we have to create habits that continually keep us coming back to him. Ross alluded, this, uh, Ross alluded to this on Easter, and, and today I have the privilege of talking about the redemption of Peter. I think this is such a fantastic story, and it's a wonderful picture for us as we think about what it means to be resilient under pressure. So if we remember Christ's death, Peter denies knowing Jesus because he was afraid of his own torture, of his own demise. And, and then after Jesus' resurrection... When Jesus gave this, the Holy Spirit to the disciples, at that point, we see a very different version of Peter. You know, it's not by his strength or by his might. And Peter talks about this in, in Acts chapter 3 and 4. We're, that's where we're going to be focused. By the way, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts 3 and 4. The words are going to be on the screen, but I, I always encourage you, if you have uh, a Bible, to, to go ahead and open it up. If you don't, shame on you. Um, (laughs) 
Now you know what this is. Every time I do it, you're like, oh, he's screwed up. He's not talking off his manuscript. Go ahead and open up there. All right. Um, so Peter, the story of Peter, his bounce back, his resilience, it's, it's invigorating, it's inspirational, and I hope it, it draws us to hope that we might experience the same thing. Now, I don't want to go too deep into this. Because this is, this is also a very important part of the story. While Peter bounced back from that moment when, when he was denying Christ and then he, he steps into this really bold thing after the, the resurrection of Christ, the work of Jesus, the transformation that was happening in his life was not yet complete. If we read all the way through Acts, we start to see him stumbling again, making some, some big things. And, and, The reason I say that is because it's important for us to understand that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. We don't have to reach perfection. All we should be reaching for is for Christ. That's it. This is what Peter kept doing. So today, we're going to consider this model that Peter sets for his followers of Jesus. Again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 and 4. And and as we read this story, uh, I want to see if we can pick up some of the things that Peter's doing uh, that might help us to become more resilient in our spiritual lives. And so let me set this story up real quickly. So this is Peter, uh, one of the disciples of Jesus. You guys are probably familiar with him. He's also there alongside John. John is with Peter in this moment. And they're, they're headed to the temple to pray. Okay, so Christ has ascended into heaven, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, and then they go about living their lives in Jerusalem, and they're they're headed to the temple to pray, and this is at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And this is a normal time for the disciples, the apostles, to go and pray. For any Jewish men, this is is part of their tradition. Prayer for the Jewish uh, people was a prayer upon waking at 6 a.m., There was prayer at 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m., and then 6 p.m. And temple prayer was specifically at 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. Every day, all the time, right? And and I point this out because I think it's significant that even after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, the apostles still held on to the Jewish traditions Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And people in Peter and John are keeping the habits of a faithful life right in front of them as much as possible. They're reminding themselves that God was their authority. This is number one key point here. They kept these traditions of, of going to God in prayer over and over again. There's something to how much we invest in our lives of faith to how well we will bounce back again and again. We have to find daily habits that keep us grounded in the truth of Christ. So Peter and John, they're headed to the temple, and they see this man who's on uh, right in front of the temple begging for money. And this is a smart place for this man to be. You know, he knows that people are coming to the temple for prayer. They come at the specific times of day. And, and he knows that, that anyone coming to the temple to pray is probably in a posture of generosity. They're about to go meet with God, right, and, and pray to God. And so it would be bad for them to shun someone that is in need. And so he's thinking, come, give me your silver and gold. Give me your money. He's actually a pretty smart guy. He's crippled. And uh, this is what happens as he addresses, this crippled man addresses Peter and John. 
This is what Peter says. So Acts chapter 3, he says, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. I want to remind you where this is, okay? Think about this in your own mind. This is at the temple in Jerusalem where all of the people were gathered who had crucified Christ not too long before. And he's out there saying, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him then by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. So this man, he's filled with the excitement uh, as he be- and he begins walking and jumping around in the temple courts. He's praising God and, and, and the people around them begin to notice. And the, the men who, who go to these temple courts to pray, they do this almost every day, um, three times a day. And, and every time there's this man who's been sitting there at the beautiful gate, they see him, they know he can't walk, he's been begging to them, they know exactly what he looks like, and now they see him up walking around and jumping and praising God, he's healed, he can walk, and so they're drawn to him. And then this man is standing there next to Peter and John, he's, he's holding on to them. Imagine he's, he's like, these are my new best friends, these are the people that, that helped me walk. And, and then this crowd starts to gather around Peter and John and this man. And then Peter launches into this speech. He says, fellow Israelites. (laughs) Sorry, I think this is really funny. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at, at us as if it's by our power or godliness that we had made this man walk? Right? Um, Peter's insinuating to anyone that's in this crowd that they, that each of them, each of them, they had the capacity to believe in Jesus as Messiah that, and then in the name of Jesus, they could have healed this man as well. Now, I don't know how funny Peter was. I'm not sure. I didn't hang out with him. Many of our students claim that I did, but I did not hang out with Peter 45 this year. I went camping with my son uh, Friday night, and the only thing I cared to take was ibuprofen. Uh, Oh, mortal body. Actually, it has a whole lot to do with today's message. I I really do. There's something. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to step off this. There is something so powerful about Peter seeing the resurrected Christ in his resurrected body that changed the way that he understood the world. And he said, I don't care what man can do to me because I know what Christ is doing in me. I, it's, I don't care. I just, it's such a good thing. So anyway, I don't know how funny he was. I really don't. But it seems like in this moment, he's toying with these people. You know, he's saying, this is common knowledge. In fact, let me show you how common it is. He, and then he goes in verse 13, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. <laughs> oh, man. Woo. So this is what I'm saying. He, he is so emboldened by what he saw in the Christ that he no longer cares what man can do with him. You handed him over to be killed. He's playing with these people a little bit. And I, I don't think this is necessarily a funny uh, situation. You know, 
but I do imagine partially what, you know, John, remember, John is standing right next to Peter. And Peter launches into this, you killed Jesus. John's probably like, hey, (laughs) take a few steps back. I don't know you. (sighs) What was John thinking as these words are coming out of Peter's mouth, right? Actually, I feel like John probably was emboldened in the same way that Peter was emboldened. I mean, this is, this is a very similar situation to the one that Jesus had been in not too long before, right? Jesus was challenging the Jewish leaders. And now these two, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are doing exactly what they watched Jesus do. So I don't think John was surprised by what Peter said. In fact, I would suggest that he was there to, to hold Peter accountable and keep him on point. Right? It's the support to remind Peter that he knew what he had seen in the risen Christ. He knew what he experienced. He knew what it felt like to receive the Holy Spirit. And just because he was living in a fallen world that was imperfect and he knew that, that there would be pushback against him, John was saying, I'm going to stand right by your side and we're going to do this together. John was Peter's brother, his support, and his partner in ministry. And so let's continue Peter's speech. Peter says, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. Whoa, that's crazy. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. By faith, In the name of Jesus, this man whom you've seen and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you all can see. You are witnesses to this miracle of Jesus Christ. So these men, they're in temple courts, right? They've just seen all this. They're witnesses to the work of the resurrected Christ. And Peter continues on with his message, which is a call to repentance and a recognition of God's plan. And then Peter is ultimately interrupted by the priests and the Sadducees, who then had Peter and John thrown into prison. The story continues into chapter 4. I encourage you to read it as you go home. It's encouraging, especially to hear then what Peter says to the Sadducees and the priests as he's, he's, once he's just emboldened. He says, I don't care what you do to me to the point that you can crucify me. In fact, I'm not even as good as Christ, so you can crucify me upside down. Peter only cares about Christ. Just a couple of months, they're hiding in a room, afraid to be found by the Jewish leaders. And now these two men are performing, performing miracles and preaching in the temple courts. Dramatic change. It's almost like a complete transformation, but it's not, right? There's a tendency to read a story like this real superficially, uh, to not consider the truly human element that must have existed in the lives of Peter and John. They had to have felt some kind of insecurity, some fear, right? They probably felt the same emotions that they had months before after Jesus was crucified. Once again, further into Acts, we see this exchange between Peter and Paul, just showing us the the still humanness of Peter. 
that Peter is, is, still has more transformation that he needs to go through. And, and, and this, I think, is a mark of resilience and maturity. It's a person who is continually listening to the Holy Spirit for guidance and direction. Searching for all of the ideas and the attitudes that are within them that might not align with what God has. And then surrendering those ideas and attitudes to God. This is the work of every follower of Jesus. In order for us to develop our spiritual selves, to become mature in Christ, we have to go to God, inviting him to show us the places and the ideas and the attitudes that that are not like him. And we have to surrender those to him. And the more frequently that we spend time with God doing this kind of work, the less that we experience the pain of having to let go of major attitudes in our lives that don't align with the things or the ways of God. Reminds me a little bit of uh, spring cleaning. Anybody else doing spring cleaning right about now? First warm day came out and I'm like, oh, I've got to go outside. <laughs> i do this stuff. This particular winter. Something changed in me. Um, I used to love the winter. I'm originally from Texas. Um, I don't know how many of you guys know that. I I never tell anyone. Um, But for me, living in Ohio, the, the second a snowflake comes down, I'm like, yeah, I never really got that as a child. And so I get excited about the cold and the snow. I get to go skiing, go sledding, and I'm a bigger kid than my kids. And, um, but this year something changed. I don't know what it was, but, uh, like all of a sudden my bones feel brittle in the cold and, um, I don't want to do anything. And so what's happened is I have this winter decided I'm, 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 I'm not going to look at my wife as I say this cause she's going to hate me. But, um, I decided I'm not going to spend any time outside organizing anything in the garage and, um, and she's like, I know I've had to do it. And, uh, what's happened though, is because I've neglected that work out in the garage. Now I know that once it's warm, uh, I have to do this top to bottom clean out, right? I've got to power wash the floor. I've got to reorganize the entire thing. And, and it's just going to be a ton of work, a ton of work. But if I had been all winter kind of going out and making sure things were in the right place and sweeping stuff out, I wouldn't have this thing over my head. And this is a lot like our spiritual lives, right? The work of discipleship, doing the little bit of spiritual dusting and reorganization and, and, and realignment. The, the longer that we wait to do those jobs, the bigger those jobs become. Now, fortunately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of, inside of us that's doing that work, but it's still painful, now, with Peter, one of the biggest transformations that I see here is this, this thing of humility inside of him, his selflessness. Instead of taking credit for that miracle at the beautiful gate there at the temple, Peter def- deflects all of the glory and, and he rede- re- redirects it straight to Jesus. This is an alien concept in our culture today. Earlier this week, uh, Rich Nathan, who's the founding pastor of the Columbus Vineyard, he wrote this on social media. It's possible that many of you saw this, but he wrote, it's going to be up on the screen. He said, the, the 21st century can be seen as the century of massive expansion of the self. You guys agree with that? Moderately gifted pastors believe themselves to be apostles. That stings. 
Um, but then the next line is wonderful because I agree with it. 17-year-olds are called influencers. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh gosh! Successful business people think of themselves as philosophers. They give TED Talks about their philosophies. And politicians demand to be treated like Louis XIV, the Sun King. What is most needed in our world is the shrinkage of self and the expansion of our view of God. Yeah. Yeah. Rich Nathan said that, but I believe that the Holy Spirit was working in him for him to to project that because that's exactly what we see in Peter and John. It's this idea that if if we could harness this idea that that, that ever in our minds we need to expand our view of God and make less of ourselves, then this concept of bouncing back, of living a resilient life is possible and it's achievable because it's only by God through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we are resilient enough to stand up. The idea of arrogance and self-importance isn't confined, by the way, to a puffed-up version of ourselves. This, is, this isn't only for those who think the world revolves around them. It certainly is for them, right? But not only them. There's also those of us who, who shoulder this heavy burden of shame. Shame from bad decisions, from inadequacies, uh, from wounds that occurred early on in our lives. And whether it's out of self-love or self-loathing, when the focus is on the self, we will always fail. If we take the glory, then pride will destroy us. If we blame ourselves for the failure, we'll never get back. We'll never get back up. And we end up in this life of shame. Shame is what keeps us stuck in these habitual destructive patterns of relating to God, relating to ourselves, relating to others by, by creating and reinforcing these lies that we believe. It's, it's the story of Peter before um, the resurrection. He, he denied Christ and then he went into hiding and, and he was ashamed of what he had done. But the Savior of the world does not stand in front of us scolding us for our sin. He doesn't scowl at us. He's not crossing his arms and tapping his foot with impatience um, and frustration and disappointment. I mean, we may think that's what God is doing, but that doesn't make it true. Just because we project our experiences and expectations onto Jesus doesn't mean that's the truth. We don't get to define the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the redemption, and the healing of Jesus and what it looks like, thankfully. Jesus approaches us in the same way as he approached Peter when he reinstated him into the ministry. He stands beside us in the same way that he stood beside the woman who was caught in adultery. His work is that of restoration and transformation. My fear is that we don't realize that Jesus holds out his hand to help us get back up. And so we keep ourselves down. The new work that Jesus is doing is his work. It's not ours. And as we begin to see that he is working in us, we become emboldened as we identify with Christ. It's the work that he's doing within us that makes the difference. Nothing that we can do. That's what Peter and John learned. They knew that on their own they had no power, but in Christ that's what brought the power. 
We can't get back up on our own. We need his hand helping us back up. I, I do like the, the picture, though, of, of, of Peter and John together. And this is a clear life model for the followers of Jesus. It's the re- reason that Quest says relationships are the matter. Or, or, or the, thank you. The mission. You guys know. Let's all repeat it together. Relationships are the mission. Again, relationships are pretty soon will be a cult. And then, um, okay, no. The truth is, though, I believe this. That's a joke. I'm, um, we need the support of the community to nudge us along when we forget the things that Jesus has done in our lives. We need to be reminded. You know, this is not the first time that we've seen this. Jesus has always had his disciples near him. Not that he needed encouragement, but he's modeling for them what it means to be in community, to live in community. He sent them out then two by two. And there's this pattern of of passing the faith down to the next generation. This is the model that we have from God. It's found in the Trinity, it's in the covenant of marriage, it's in family systems, and it's in discipleship. Rarely do we ever see people walking out their faith alone. Why? Right. If we look at the life of Jesus, we we have this story of his temptation. You guys are familiar with this. When he was tempted in the wilderness, he was alone as he was tempted, and that's when he was tempted. And I know for me, my greatest temptations come when I'm alone. That's when I begin to compare my life to others. Jealousy creeps in. Greed creeps in. um, The need for control overwhelms me. And then my mind darts in another direction away from Jesus. And the longer I stay there, the harder it is for me to give up that idea and surrender it again to God. But when I am brave enough to process those thoughts with someone else, with my wife, with a brother in Christ... And those people, they help me to point me back to the truth of Jesus. And that's when I'm able to bounce back and make strides forward in my faith. It's our brothers and sisters in Christ who encourage us and help us. And so we need to surround ourselves with other believers. Peter's and John's who will stand behind us as we do bold things in the name of Jesus people who will put their arm around our shoulder because they are united with us in faith and people who will sit in front of us and challenge our bad thinking to point us back in the direction of Christ. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. So what are we really taking away from this early moment in the church? This is the first time that the followers of Jesus didn't have Jesus physically with them. I think we can all relate to that, right? This could have been a great opportunity for a significant decline in the ministry of Jesus if it was really and truly reliant on Peter and John, but it wasn't. And, and, and they're, they're about to experience this great persecution that's about to happen uh, just mere days away. And, and while I don't think that the 21st century Christians in America can really relate to what that persecution was like, we are still living in a post-Christian society where our beliefs, our, our way of living, they go against the norms of society. And we often find ourselves that our faith is is at odds with what's commonly accepted as a social norm. Now, and I'm not even referring to the big cultural wars. I'm simply talking about the daily habits of a disciple of Christ. For years, our schedules and spiritual routine, they've been, you know, hacked away at. 
It's harder to fit church into our lives against all of the competing important things that exist around us, right? And so we find ourselves having to defend our faith against some of the other, some really good things, but not the best things. And, and, and it's, it's hard for us, I think, to remain firm in our faith. I'm referring to work schedules. I'm referring to sports schedules, to school activities, to finances. It's hard to constantly measure our faith and everything outside of it. And I think that what we often do is we choose to let pieces of our faith go because it's easy to do that. But do we ever count the cost when we make that choice? The, the personal attrition of our faith and the disciplines that we have, it may be small, but there's exponential attrition in the next generation. What small things that we give up, the next generation often doubles down on. So when Jesus left the disciples with the Holy Spirit, they were guided into a couple of things that show us how to keep the kingdom of God active in our lives. They had a robust spiritual discipline in their lives. They're going to the temple as often as they can to pray, to keep God in front of them. We should be doing the same thing. We, we should be engaging with um, strangers around us in the name of Jesus, caring for their needs, possibly even praying for them to experience miraculous healing right? Common to the disciples and to the apostles. Actions like this, they reinforce our reliance on the Holy Spirit. As I was preparing uh, to come in this morning, just praying about what the Lord uh, wanted me to say and how he wanted me to say it, I, I felt like he was starting to reframe some of the end of this message. And I felt like what he was saying to me is, how often do my followers today pray prayers that they are afraid to pray? How often do they ask me to get them into situations where they know they're going to have to rely on the power of my Holy Spirit within them to do those things? Because I know for me, personally, and I'm driving in, thinking this, God... Can I say this in front of these people? I know that I like to pray, pray comfortable prayers. I know that's what I like. God, can you just help us get through this season? You know, provide for us, do that kind of stuff. I'm not praying prayers of put me in a place where I, my reputation could be diminished because of what I'm saying to this other person. Put me in a place where, where I'm going to pray for the miraculous healing of this person. And if they don't get healed, I'm going to feel humiliated. Who cares? Peter and John did it. They lost their lives because of it. What? So what? How many of us, how many of us are willing to say, I trust so fully in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's his work inside of me and I'm just going to faithfully follow him at any cost. If we approached every situation this way, thinking that the Lord might use us to restore people by his power in his way, would we be willing to step out? That's the question I have for you today. I, I'm, I'm curious if, if you're interested in that. And I hope I don't get a reputation as every time Jeremy gets up there, he asks us to do something really crazy and bold. It's going to look weird and people are going to freak out. I, well, okay, I don't care. That's fine. If you are interested in beginning to pray prayers that you're scared of, 
that scare you because of the power and work of the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you're willing to do that, I want to ask you to stand with me right now. Stand up. If you're not, that's okay. No pressure. I want us to to pray together. We're going to take a few minutes and, and listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Thank you for standing. Thank you for that boldness. Now, if you're sitting, and once again, no pressure. If you're sitting and you're feeling like, uh, you know, I'm okay here. I'm okay where I am. Then I'm going to ask you to do something if you're, if you're okay with it. If you feel like you're, you're being challenged in the Lord, you don't need more of this, that's great. I want you to extend a hand to some of the folks that prayed and you begin to pray over them. You are ministry partners with the Holy Spirit right now to pray for those folks who are standing up right now. What we're going to do, ask your hand, just to hold your hands like this. Nothing magical, nothing serious, just a posture of us receiving from the Lord. Hold your hands out like this and just say, come Holy Spirit. Show us the places where we're holding back from you, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Reveal to us and in us those ways that we're, we're still afraid. We're not walking in your power and your strength. We're walking under our own control. Lord, show us those places and give us the strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to surrender those things to you. Come, Holy Spirit. the Lord is speaking to you, I pray that you would take a a mental note, that you would dig deep into what he is revealing to you right now, what he's saying to you, what he's asking you to surrender to him. Don't let the walk from your seat right now out to the parking lot be a distraction and, and a a way that you let go, but let this be uh, an opportunity for you to surrender more of you to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Holy Spirit, more we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you surrendered your life to the will of the Father. That you allowed yourself to be beaten and tortured, hung on a cross, so that you might be the sacrifice for our sins, our redemption. Thank you, Jesus. And we rejoice in your resurrection. 
Thank you that Peter and John, with their own eyes, saw your resurrected body and then emboldened their faith, and they chose to walk out their faith in front of everyone around them, even to the point of death. And thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, breathing your Spirit onto us, allowing the Holy Spirit to live and inside of us, to dwell in our hearts. May we boldly proclaim who you are to everyone around us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to invite everybody else to stand. We're going to continue to worship uh, in this final song. And I, 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 want to, I want to invite you, if you felt a stirring or a move of the Holy Spirit and, and, that, and the Holy Spirit was directing you in, in a specific way, that, that you would follow Him, that you would step out. Maybe it's to pray for someone else. Maybe it's to get out of your aisle and, and, and to worship Him with your body fully. Maybe, I don't know what it is, maybe it's to kneel in the place where you are and fully surrender in a position, of po- a posture of surrender respond to the work of the Holy Spirit that he's doing in your life right now. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. So let's worship, church. Thank you. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.